Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Larry Davis. He, uh, he had already won 15 professional tournaments, and in 1958, he won the U.S. Open. He had a reputation uh, that followed him around, and that was that he could hit any shot. Uh, there wasn't anything that he couldn't do. He made things happen out of nowhere. I'm talking about a guy named Tommy Bolt, who's in the uh, PGA Hall of Fame. He's a fantastic golfer. He had also another thing that he was known for, and that was his temper. His nickname was Tommy Temper Bolt, or they even called him Thunder, Tommy Thunderbolt, because of his temper. He would throw golf clubs, break them. He would yell and scream at different people, throw them into the water. There was even a story of a time that he ended a tournament on a weekend with one club in his bag. He had a tournament in uh, the Southern California area, and when you come in, you don't bring your own caddies with you. When you get there, you draw for your caddy, and so he drew uh, for his caddy, and he uh, received a caddy that also had a reputation who was known of being a chatterbox. And those of you guys who have golfed or know anything about golfing, like talking during the golf is not what you do, and uh, especially during tournament play. So uh, they started their day out, and he was golfing, and uh, they got through the first night, and he did just that. He was chatting away with them. And uh, the guys that were golfing with Tommy said, hey, Tommy, why don't you do something about your caddy? So he took him off to the side and probably very politely shushed him. No, he, uh, he let him have it. He said, hey, you're going to keep your mouth shut for the rest of the day. The only thing that's, that are going to come out of your mouth is yes, Mr. Bolt, and no, Mr. Bolt. And if anything else comes out of your mouth, I will fire you immediately, and I can guarantee you'll never caddy for the rest of your life. So the young boy bit his lip and looked at him and said, yes, Mr. Bolt. As they uh, started that second nine and got through 10 and 11 and 12, and on 13, uh, the tee shot, Tommy Bolt hit a shot that was off the fairway. It was still in bounds, but it was in the brush. So as he went, he found his ball laying next to a tree, and he looked, and there was a branch that was just out in front of him, and just beyond that, there was some low trees that he needed to clear. So he looked at it and says, hey, I can make this shot. And so he looked over his caddy and said, five iron. And the caddy promptly looked at him and said, no, Mr. Bolt. So he looked at him again and said, I said, I want the five iron. And he said, no, Mr. Bolt. So he got upset and he went over and he took the five iron out of his bag. He walked over, he got over the shot, and he picked it clean. Right over that branch, just cleared over those trees, landed six feet in front of the green, and then rolled up onto the green just feet from the hole. He looked back at the kid and threw the club at him and says, what do you think about that? And the caddy looked at him and said, no, Mr. Bolt. He said, what are you talking about? This is ridiculous. I'm giving you permission to say whatever you're thinking right now. So he looked at him and said, that's not your ball, Mr. Bolt cost him two shot. It was a two-shot penalty. Dropped him out of the top five. He lost a lot of money that day. We're in uh, Acts chapter 16, chapter 29 of the story. And this story, I can, uh, this, this, this golfing story I can totally relate to because Acts chapter, uh, chapter 16 uh, speaks a lot to what's God's will. And there's so many times that, that I know we're in life and we're looking around saying, Hey, God, what do I do here? Do I take this job or should I go here? What should I do in this instance? Or, you know, this is where I'm at in life. And, we, and, and what we get is a yes. And we need more than that. <laughs> we're like, hey, I need more than a yes and a no answer in this instance. So if uh, you guys have a Bible next to you, you have one with you, you have your smart thing out. Uh, there's Bibles in the back. You can read up here 
on top. I'm going to be in Acts the whole morning, chapter 16. I'm uh, excited to be sharing with you guys. Pastor Ken is away this weekend. Uh, it was his 60th birthday. He's 60. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. I was like, wait, you're six. You need to rest. Take that time off. That is, that is rough. <laughs> no, but uh, hey, I encourage you guys. Encourage him. His best years are yet to come. You guys can see his email address in the back there and, and uh, hit him up on Facebook and say something mean. <laughs> or joke around with them. So Acts chapter 16, we're going to hear about a guy named Paul, he used to be called Saul, to do a little catch up with you guys. Uh, what we've seen is uh, Jesus has uh, ascended in, and uh, now the disciples and apostles are, are making churches and the church movement has started. And there was a guy named Saul and he was a hitman. He was a professional hitman. He was extremely good at his job. He was going around killing Christians who were in this Jesus following movement because he thought that he was doing good for God because he said, hey, this whole Messiah thing didn't really happen. That wasn't the Messiah. Uh, and so you guys are messing up uh, our Jewish religion, and that needs to be kaput. And so he was uh, good at his job, and he was killing many, many Christians. And uh, just after he had killed one of the apostles named Stephen and had him stoned, he was on his way down a road to go to another church to kill even more, and uh, he ran into Jesus, literally. He blinded him and said, yo, dude, you're killing all my people. You're like messing things up. You are really good at what you do, and you're extremely persistent. I could use a guy like you. For the other team. So Paul looked at him and says, oh my gosh, this is like, you're real. And this really happened. And the Messiah did really come. And I need to tell my friends. And he was in leadership in the church. And so now he's going around to the churches to try to tell them like, hey guys, we got it wrong. This is really the Messiah. And this is uh, Jesus. And he came here uh, to us, uh, for us. And I can only imagine now when he's walking to churches, he's like, hey guys. And they're like, ah! They're like, no, he's there for. And he's like, no, me friend. And they're like, no. Uh, anyways. So, uh. He uh, has gone around and started and planted a bunch of different churches, and they're growing, and, and, they're, and, and people, more and more people are coming and wanting to join the church and be a part of this movement. And uh, what's happened is there's so many people trying to join this. A lot of the, the leaders in there, they're going, oh my gosh, we don't know what to do. And so they started thinking they needed to bring up some of the old laws that they had in the Old Testament. And one of them was is like, hey, hey guys, you gotta want to join our church. You guys need to be circumcised. And suddenly the line got really short. <laughs> They're like, no, we thought we wanted to come, but we don't want to come anymore. And so they got together in chapter 15. They said, hey, what are we going to do about this? And they had a conversation. They're like, hey, you know, Jesus came not to, to abolish the, the Old Testament, but to fulfill it. And these rules don't apply here. And so we need to go around and tell people that those types of things don't need to be happening anymore. And people can join the church. So it brings us to chapter 16. And I'm going to read to you guys. Hang with all of the crazy words and the pronunciation with me. So as he came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived there, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. The brothers of Lystra and Incomum, yep, messed that one up, spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because the Jews that lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. And so the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. So wait, why did this just happen? So he traveled and he found a guy named Timothy who he met and was like, man, this Timothy guy is a really good guy. He needs to come with me. His mom was Jewish. His dad was Greek. 
And he says, hey, buddy, you need to get circumcised. Well, we just made a decision that you don't. And what he told him is, say, hey, you don't have to do this, but you need to do this. This isn't legalism. This is going to be done out of love. I need you to take one for the team, buddy, because what we're going to do is we're going to go into these places. It's just like if you had uh, gone, uh, if you were to go overseas, especially women, you would cover yourself up in different places. Uh, not because you're going to get in trouble, because there's a relational thing there. You're going to be able to have conversations. When we travel over to Uganda, all the women that go with us, they wear skirts and they wear longer skirts. It's because that's what's in that culture is normal and comfortable. And so we can relate and we can have conversations and there isn't these barriers of things. So he's saying, hey, I know you don't have to do this, uh, but there's people that are going to know that you're not Jewish and we need you to do this. It's going to hurt you more than me, buddy. So... Uh, In verse 6, it says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the providence of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter, enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. So they're going all these different places. And it's not working out. He's trying to go all these different places, and I don't know what's keeping him from going, but he's not able to go there. And I kind of dig this moment. Did, he, did anybody else take a little joy secretly, knowing like you're like, man, that person has got it all together. They got the little halo glow. They're like uber Christian. They're like the super awesome person. And then you find out like they don't have a clue what they're doing, right? Is that, am I the only one that like feels good about that? I'm like looking, I'm like, hey, dude, he's like a normal person. This really has no idea what he's doing, where he's going, and it keeps getting messed up. So he ends up going to a port town named Troas. In verse 9, it says, During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. That's the vision voice. (laughs) After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us, note that, to preach the gospel to them. What's just happened here is really cool. This is the first time we're introduced to a doctor named Luke. Luke wrote the book of Acts, and this is the first time we get a, a third-person pronoun that now it's turned into a first-person pronoun. He's gone and he met a doctor in Troas there and picked him up. And so now we see that it's an us in they situation, so he has joined the party. In verse 11, from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and on the next day to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. Highlight Philippi, a Roman colony. This is the first time that we see in the Bible that the gospel has reached the Roman and European uh, area and era. This is a big deal. Verse 13, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to a river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She loved purple. From the city of Theatra, who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and her members of the household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So they've gotten now to the edge of the Roman Empire. This is the first, this is the leading city out here. And they're going and they're looking for a church and they're finding none because they're non-existent there yet. They're looking for a synagogue to go pray out. It just takes 10 men to, to create a synagogue there. There's nothing there. So they go outside the city gates, hoping to find a place of prayer. And they run into a bunch of women and specifically a woman named Lydia who loves the color purple. She sells that stuff. 
And she speaks to her and tells her about the Lord and what their journey is all about. And she invites them and gives them a place to stay. Verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for, by her owners for fortune telling. I don't get this. I'm going to tell you some of this stuff. You guys are going to ask me later, like, hey, like, so what's going on with that thing? And I'm going to be like, I don't know. So just hang with me there. But this, this girl could tell the, tell the future. It's obviously people listen to her. You guys, you guys understand that. We all like to do that. We all ask people like, what should I do? What's next? What's going on here? We want to know that stuff. We want to know where to go. And she was able to do that. And people listened to her. And she made a great deal of money. And so she's doing this um, uh, with them. It says in verse 17, the girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled or irritated that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit had left her. So she's fallen around and going in front of them, explaining these things. And he's finally just done with it, tired of hearing the screaming and yelling for multiple days. And uh, I got to think too, like he's not sure like what she's going to do with this. I don't understand this. I don't understand who she is. And this isn't, this isn't right. This isn't the right. It's like God talk, but it's not connecting with the right source. It says in verse 19, when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. And isn't it funny that people back then were willing to go along with the God stuff until it hurt their pocketbook? Man, I'm glad we're different now. Just saying. Verse 20, they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar. By advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And upon receiving such orders, he put them into the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. See, there was a, a Roman, Roman had law. If you were a citizen... Um, of the Roman Empire, you were protected. You weren't publicly humiliated. If someone had some sort of accusal against you, it was a long, arduous legal process that you went through. But if you were a foreigner and an outsider, you were not protected and you were even made a mockery of. You would come in and this was fairly typical to be accused of something or just to be made an example of. And you would even spend a night in jail and then they would let you go and be like, hey, you got the point. Don't come back again. And so this is even a racist moment at the time. Not only did they say that they're foreigners, they said, hey, these men are Jews and, and they're throwing everything into an uproar and we're losing a lot of money. They like messed up our fortune telling gig and I don't know what's going on now and we're extremely frustrated. And so the crowd joined in on that and they were put into the inner cell. Verse 25, at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's, uh, bo- everyone's body's chains uh, came loose. The jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. 
you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had become to believe in God. He and his whole family. I can't imagine that situation. I wonder if that jailer still had blood on his sandals and his clothes from the flogging he was a part of early on these two men. There was something different as they were brought in front of everyone and severely flogged. And as he sat there and watched and it drew close to midnight, suddenly he hears this praying and then out into singing. I would only think that, you know, jail's not a good place to be and the other guys maybe even started shushing them. It's midnight. This isn't a good situation. What are you singing about? Until they heard verse two. And suddenly everyone started listening to what was happening. And out of nowhere, a violent earthquake happened and shook everything loose and the doors opened up and they could get out and the Roman soldier noticed that this was happening. And in that day, if you let a prisoner escape, you did their time. Everyone escapes, you fall on your sword. So just as he's about to do that, he hears, don't, no, wait, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. We still got verse four to go. And he comes in and he falls trembling his knees. What must I do to be saved, sirs? And I can only imagine what that moment may have looked like when he took him to their house and the hands that were probably a part of that beating began to clean the wounds and yet he helped make. Give them something to eat. And was filled with joy because he believed. I can also only imagine the moment when morning comes and he says, Hey guys, can you come back to jail with me? <laughs> says, When daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, Release those men. The jailer told Paul, The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now they just want to get rid of us quietly? No, they can come and let them out themselves. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. That's an interesting word to use right there. <laughs> Hey, uh, you know those guys that we like totally beat the snot out of the other day? They were Roman citizens. I am in such alarm right now. (laughs) We are alarmed. (laughs) You are in deep alarm right now. Verse 39, it says, Then they came to appease them. Also an interesting word. Hey, guys. (laughs) Nice shoes. (laughs) Let's go for a walk. And they escorted them from the prison, requesting that they leave the city. Can you go now? This is just awkward. Bye. Thanks for coming. Verse 40, after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, purple, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them, and then they left. Chapter 16. That's weird and awesome and crazy. (laughs) What a chapter. For those of you guys who are sitting there going, oh my gosh, he has six points and he hasn't even started yet. Get your pins out. We're going to fly. You ready? So what I want to give to you guys, I want to give you three random lessons from a tough start for Paul. 
The first one is this. When it comes to our journey, everyone counts. When it comes to our journey in life, everyone counts. Friends, it is so important the people that you're surrounding and putting in your life that are investing into you, that are encouraging you, that are challenging you, that are loving on you, everyone counts. Look at the people that Paul put in his life on his journey through it. He picked up good, solid people. He, there was a young guy named Silas. He said, hey, I'm going to go with you. I want to be with you. I want to support you. We're going to do this together. Then he goes and he hears great things about this guy named Timothy that is a good man. And he says, hey, you're going to come with me too. Then he goes and he meets a doctor. And he, the doctor's all in. He says, hey, we could use somebody like you. Let's be in my life. But look at who he cut out of his life. There was a, uh, there was a slave girl falling around, saying some of the right things, screaming, Hey, these guys came here to tell you how to be saved. They're sent from the God most high. But he cut her out of his life. He shut her down because maybe he didn't know what that was going to do. She was full of God talk, but it was maybe coming from the wrong source. Some of us have people in our life that say all the God talk. Sometimes we have people in our life that do the Christian thing until it comes down to making the hard decisions. And instead of encouraging us to make the right decision, many times they're encouraging us to make the popular one. There's too many times uh, that I've had people come to me and say, all my Christian friends say I should get a divorce too because it's just, it's just hard. It's just difficult. Really? Well, then you've got some slave girls in your life that are maybe telling you things from a bad source. They may be covered in God talk, but God knew if he's going to live differently, if he's going to live set apart, if he's going to live this holy life, if I'm going to follow God, I have to guard who's on this journey in life with me. And when it comes to that, friends, everyone counts. Number two, there will always be opportunities. Find them. There's always, always, always going to be opportunities in your life. Find them. You could probably think of a dozen random opportunities you've had in your life where you were like, whoa, that was crazy. Didn't know that was going to happen. Your life is filled with so many random opportunities. Paul thought he was going to go around and change some churches and tell them about some of the new rules and it was going to be all good. But God said, hey, we're going to, we got a different plan. We're going to change the world. And it all came through random small opportunities. He said, hey, you got to go see this doctor in Troas or one of your companions do because you're sick. And someone talking with this doctor, this Luke guy, found the answer that he was missing. And a skilled doctor, an intelligent man, probably of some worth said, I am all in. Outside of the city gates, you're going to go and you're going to look for a place to pray. And you're going to run into a woman named Lydia. And when you're looking for a church, she's going to be there and she likes the color purple. And she said, hey, I'm going to have a place for you to stay in this part of your journey. Oh, you're going to go to prison for something that you didn't do. But guess what? I'm going to use you there. Because the first Roman citizen and his family are going to come to know me. Small opportunities, friends, are the big things in life. So many times we get hung up and like, just waiting for my big break, just waiting for the big opportunity. This is the big opportunity. Friends, small opportunities are the big things in life. Paul had no idea what was happening and how big those things were through the front windshield. But in the rearview mirror, these small opportunities turned into huge things. Number three, God's purpose is more important than my rights. God's purpose is more important than my rights. As Christians and Americans, we hate this. And so do I at times. I want my rights. I want my life. I want God as my caddy. Hey, when I need some advice, give it to me. Give me some yes or no answers. And if God's advice matches up with that, I'll do it. Otherwise, I'll just use you as a consultant. Hey, good advice. Probably not the shot I want to take right now. 
As Americans, we want our rights. We totally do. Our rights to our own sexuality, our rights to our own wants, our rights to our own finances, our rights to say and to do whatever we want. I mean, like really say and do whatever we want or whatever we think and not care what other pe- how it affects other people. We say, I put myself through college. I, I made something of myself. I built this business. I built where I am today. I have the right to that. I have the right to build my own kingdom. I have the right to make this life about me and us. But God's purpose is about his kingdom. It's about his kingdom, not our rights. And that is constantly coming into conflict. That's why this is so difficult. Guys, when the prison doors open and the earthquakes happen, you have a right to go. You're innocent. Paul and Silas, you guys could bail. You haven't done anything. You're innocent, but God has a purpose. Does it boggle you that Paul played his get out of free jail card after he was out of jail? (laughs) I like thought about that. Uh, afterwards, he's telling him he's a Roman citizen. Man, if someone ever was dragging me somewhere, stripping my clothes off to beat me, I would be, I don't care how many people you got piled on top of me. I'd be like, Roman citizen! (laughs) You can't do this. I would wear a hat that said Roman citizen just walking around like, you can't do anything to me. And instead, he waits until after he's already out of jail to like say something. What? Said, yeah, that's my right. But it's where God wants me. May I remind you that in Matthew 26, that three times Jesus begged not to die for you. Three times that night, he said, I don't want to die for Northgate. And when he didn't get the answer that he wanted, he went back and begged again and said, I do not want to die for these people. I don't want to go through this kind of pain and torture for Northgate. And when he didn't want the answer, he went back again and said, I am the son of God. I have a right. And his father said to him, said, that's why I sent you. If you don't die for them, they're going to have to die for themselves. And Jesus said, it's not about my rights. It's about God's purpose. And that's the example that we follow. And that's tough. That is so tough for us. I got three things on God's will real fast. God's will first is not as clear as we think. All right? So many people are always asking me, like, what's God's will in this situation? And pray for God's will. And I'm just going to tell you right now, it is not as clear as we think. Somehow we've got this idea that God's will is about what we're doing and where we are and where we're going. And Paul had no idea where he was going and what he was doing. And I want to tell you, it's okay if God's will is not crystal clear to you. In fact, if you know what you're doing for the next five to 10 years, I'm going to warn you, friends, you might be just planning God's will right out of your life. And that's like really difficult for a lot of people. I like have many conversations with good friends and I have a lot of people that give me a hard time. Lots of people ask me like, what's your five-year plan? What's your 10-year plan? And I honestly don't have one. I like honestly have learned enough. I've been taught a lesson enough of like as soon as I plan it, it doesn't happen and I get destroyed inside because I had a plan. I've lived in Benicia now for four and a half years. Uh, I've been renting and I've already moved three times. It's horrible. I hate it. It's not fun to like not feel like you have a place. But you know what? It's not as clear as I think. 
And uh, you know how many neighbors I've met? Different neighborhoods. You know how many people that I've met that have come and been a part of this faith community now? And even I've watched them getting baptized up here. Because I, I went around and I got to just meet new neighbors and be a part of neighborhoods in the midst of like, I hate this. For reals. It's not as clear as we think. Number two, it's not always God's will isn't the easiest path or the most popular. It's not always. Don't ever let tell some, someone tell you that because you're going through a hard time or a financial difficulty, it's because you're not in God's will. I have a question for you real quick. This uh, light right here. Does the light right here shine brightest in the dark or in the, in, the, in the light time or in the dark? It shines the same. Thank you. Yeah, sorry. Okay. Let me ask you another one. Then. <laughs> Does this light right here, can you see it best in the, in the daytime or in the nighttime? Like half of you are like, I'm not answering your question. Man. I'm not falling for that. <laughs> Oh, man, where can God use you the greatest? Is it in times when, isn't it? It is. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to flip it around. <laughs> There's times, when can God use you the most? Is it the times in life when everyone's patting you on the back and saying, yeah, man, everything's good, way to go? Or is it through the hardest part of your journey? Paul, you're not going to like this, but in your sickness, you're going to find a doctor, and I need that guy to write Bible. Paul, you're not going to like this. But when you're in prison, the first Roman man and his family are going to come to know me. Friends, I don't know why the cancer is back. I don't know why the tumor started growing again. I don't know why he took his life. I don't know why you're in a financial hardship. I don't know why these things happen to us. But friends, sometimes maybe we go through the darkness because God says, I need you the most. And it may not be the safest place but it may be the most powerful place that you're ever used. And the last one, real quick. God's will is more about who we are than where we are. It's more about who we are than where we are. God is far more relational than rational. It's not about A, B, and C, and D. That's rational. He's far more relational than rational. God's will is more about where we are in Christ than where we are in life. Rarely does God tell people where to go, what to do, what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, and if it does happen like that, it's a miracle. Rarely do we see that. I really don't think God cares much about the job opportunities you have as much as he cares about how you do the job that you have. Paul, you're not going to have a clue where you're going or what you're doing, but in the rearview mirror, you're going to do something awesome and huge. It's about obedience in the small things, friends. That is uh, Acts 16, the best I can read it and the best I understand it. Would you bow your heads? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.